I'm delighted to be here. Uh, this is uh, this is one of our church homes away from home. And for those of you joining us from a distance, uh, this is a new experience for me. I'm normally in front of a group of people, which I am today, of course, but uh, also uh, a larger group, some of whom uh, may never heard some of the things I'm going to talk about today. But this is going to be um, a message of utilitarian hope that we need. Uh, I want to start with a prayer leading into the message today. And this is a prayer that I have been praying. I call it my umbrella prayer of faith and belief that keeps me from getting angry and not getting caught up with all the people and things and situations in the world around us. Because if you and I get caught up in the people and the things and the situations in the world around us, we will either become angry or sad or hopeless. And God wants us to be hopeful in him. So, Lord, we lift up your name this morning. We give you praise. Lord, we claim that your word is truth. So may your truth prevail over all peoples, all nations, all governments, all situations and circumstances. May those who uh, intend to do evil and to be hurtful, for those who intend to take your name off the landscape of creation that you made, for those that seek to blaspheme your name and bring you low, as it says in the book of Psalms, may they themselves be brought low. May their evil and sin be disclosed for what it was, seen by all people who have eyes and ears to see and hear. And may you be lifted up and glorified. And we pray this and receive it as a completed work in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last week, uh, for the, some of you know that we have a Native American jewelry business that we use uh, as a way to finance our, our ministry and, and uh, pay for some expenses uh, as we go throughout the prison system and churches and special events, which many of which have been curtailed in recent months. And we had um, an Indian jewelry show at Bedford Street Antiques where we have permanent showcases, but they bless us each year and allow us to do a special show and sale up front. We bring in additional jewelry and we have a special show and sale. So I made it my point last week to listen in on conversations that people were having around me. And the conversations by and large uh, centered around a pandemic disease, uh, a, a cataclysmic political landscape, and a, a sense of helplessness and hopelessness, and whether the people were raging or whether they were lamenting, virtually every conversation ended with the same phrase, but there's nothing we can do about it. And I was standing off to the side going, yes, there is, yes, there is. And I thought, and some of you know me, I can be very much like the Apostle Peter, sort of impetuous, entering into situations in which I'm not invited, saying things, shooting from the hip, and saying afterward in sort of an Urkel-esque reprise, did I say that? Did I do that? 
Some of you have to Google Urkel and figure that out. It was a sitcom from days gone by. But, you know, I kept hearing this lament, this curse, this raging, but yet at the end of it, it all seemed to be hopeless. And so I wanted to start uh, the conversation today in the book of Matthew. We're going to just, we're going to, touch on that, and then we're going to go to the main passage. But in the, in the book of Matthew, starting in, oh my, in the, in the fifth chapter, uh, Jesus is teaching through these pages of, of the book of Matthew, the chapters and verses. And he's, he talks about the Beatitudes, about characteristics we can have to, to be closer to him, to be more useful and helpful for the kingdom. He talks about different topics and different subjects. He gives a picture of the kingdom of God. He talks about such things as reconciliation that the pastor mentioned. He talks about morality and, and adultery and resistance or non-resistance, giving of alms and oblations, fasting, and he touches on anxiety and fear right after he talks about money. Because a lot of us are fearful and full of anxiety because of financial issues. Even within the kingdom of God, that seems to be the topic that can sometimes cause a, rendering, a rending and a tearing of relationships like none other. But he talks about things in relationship to anxiety, and he shows you and me through his red-letter words. I'm reading from King James. He talks about not worrying about what you should eat or what you should drink or your body, what you should put on and wear. And then he gives examples of the lilies of the field and the birds of the air and how they're beautifully arrayed and clothed and how he takes care of them and they don't have to worry about existing and thriving and growing within the kingdom he created. And then he says, but you all are much more valuable, much more precious than they, so why do you insist on being anxious and full of worry? Then there is a, 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 a phrase that he says in verse 33 that gives us perspective. Because in the conversations I was hearing with people in the, in the past week, they were looking for answers and they were looking for perspective. So I want us to grab some perspective this morning through the Word of God. Now, in my prayer, I said the Word of God is truth. Lord, your Word is truth. May your truth prevail. Pastor Rich mentioned I came out of a background of New Age occultism. And when I was immersed in that background, I became very esoteric, very philosophical, very theological. And so I got a lot of that blowback when I left that movement and embraced Christ in personal relationship. And so people would always come up to me and, and talk about the God of the cosmos, inscrutable, unknowable, somewhere up there. And I would say, are you talking about God or Obi-Wan Kenobi? Because I said, back in the day, I did some ship lifting myself. And it wasn't through the power of Christ. 
It was through a power that was right from the pit of hell. But I want you to know that in this day and age when people are questioning and looking and seeking and searching for perspective and when it comes to truth, I used to get in these long embroiled conversations that could be debates or arguments and God gave me, oh, he wants me to talk less and say more. And he gave me an answer to the question, what is truth? Truth is reality as God sees it, period, done, end of conversation. God, your word is truth. Therefore, it is the reality which we should seek to incorporate in our lives. And so Jesus' words say in Matthew 6, 33, here's how you can get perspective. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things that I've discussed on the preceding pages will come to you. They'll be added to you. And so, therefore, you don't have to worry about what tomorrow is going to bring. Tomorrow is going to take care of itself because tomorrow is in the hand and the bosom of Almighty God. And so that gives us a perspective we can have to lead into our message today. You know, God's word in Matthew and throughout the scriptures, uh, it can give us instruction and wisdom and gives us plenty of things that we can do. Plenty of things to do. Years ago, I wrote a song. It was called Work to Do. Because if we have an appetite for God, he will and can give us plenty of work to do. For ourselves, our families, those around us, people he brings us in contact with, and the general kingdom of God. There's plenty of work to do. But people say, that's great. But what about the how-tos? So this morning, I want to touch on some basic how-tos of the to-dos. Does that make sense? And so I'm looking in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Three short verses that can set the stage to give us the how-tos of what God would want us to do. I want to read the passages. I'm reading in King James. It says, rejoice evermore. Some translations say, this is again 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice evermore. Some translations say, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will in Christ Jesus concerning you. Three short verses. Now, I read that in the King James. You can read that in the NIV, the New King James, the New American Standard, the New English Translation, the Good News, New Living Bible. And if you want to be really hip, you can look it up in the message. And you can get God's Word translated for you. 
have found in my own life without careful, diligent thought and intentionality, I often go back to my favorite Pete Einstein translation. And that would be something like this. Rejoice when things are going your way. Pray when it comes to mind, when you think of it, or when you're really in a bind. And in some things, we can give thanks if they are seemingly helpful and beneficial to us, for this is God's will and especially my will for my life. Can anybody relate to that? Yes. We lose the perspective, the Christ-centered perspective, and all of a sudden we start retreating and retrenching to the safety and comfort of our own mess. I have put the Pete Einstein translation on the, cell, on the shelf for most part. But without diligent intentionality, we can, you and I, I can, I don't know about you, but I can easily go back to a self-serving interpretation of God's word. The Bible is the source of many beneficial things for you and me. We have to realize that. We have to look at it for what it is as it is, and then apply it to our own lives in real and meaningful ways. Rejoice evermore. Okay, what does that mean? What does that look like, if you will? God gives us, gives you and me, a divine open-door policy to take from his word and apply it in our lives and hearts in real and meaningful ways. And so you and I are to rejoice even when things are not going our way according to our plan. Now, the word rejoice is an interesting word because a lot of people equate rejoicing, the root word being joy, with happiness. Now, back in the day, a number one song came on the scene little jazzy thing and the chorus line after the do-do-do's and I could sing the whole thing and be very cool about it. But the punchline was, don't worry, be happy. And then, of course, you went, do-do-do-do-do-do. And everybody loved this little ditty. It was a summer song. It was ingratiating. It, it filled you with good, warm, fuzzy feelings. And the song was right. We should be happy, but understand, folks, that happiness often re resolves and revolves around our own situations and circumstances. Happiness is often tied up with what is happening or not happening in our lives. And I talk about this with my inmate uh, brothers and sisters when we're going through sessions about real gut-level application of God's word. We can look at our own lives and say, wow, I got a new job. I'm happy. More money. I'm happy. Then I find out the boss is a dictator. He's a tyrant, and my life is miserable, and I'm sad. 
but I got another job offer, and it's even better, so I'm moving, and I'm happy. But then I find out that I really don't like the job at all, and I'm sad, and I go home, and I tell my wife, and she's happy that I'm not sad, but she really wants me to do something meaningful, and so now I'm in a quandary. And and our life becomes a roller coaster of feelings according to the happenstances and the circumstances of our life. And so we look at the word rejoice evermore, rejoice always in all things, and where's the perspective? Let's look at the Apostle Paul in a Roman dungeon knowing the second time he's not going to get out. And he's writing love letters to the churches from a damp, dark, dank, dingy dungeon, rat-infested, chained to a praetorium guard with a, a short length of heavy chain. And so what does Paul do? First of all, he preaches the word incessantly to the guards that are chained to him, converting many to Christ. And he writes love letters to the church praising God and praising his life and the opportunity to serve and to be even scourged and punished for his obedience. He rejoices evermore. He rejoices without ceasing. Is that easy to do? For you and me, often it's not easy to do. But God's word is simple. It is not complex. It is not inscrutable. It is a simple statement. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice always in spite of your circumstances. In all situations, you and I are called, as Christ followers, you and I are called to be above normal. We're always, people are wondering, lamenting, what's going to be, when are we going to return to normal? What is normal? Are we ever going to see normal as we knew it to be? God knows we don't, but we as believers in Jesus Christ are called to be above the norm. We are to elevate, renewing our mind, as Paul says, and seeking higher things because if you and I are content with the norm of the world, that brings us despair, fighting and feuding, Pornography, sex mess, killing of the unborn, lying, cheating, stealing, and have it being acceptable. And we could just go on and on from there. We're called to be above that, to rise above that. And so we're to recognize God's hand in every situation that we're in. And we are to rejoice in the midst of it. We are to have joy in the journey that is our lives. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death, thou art with me. Your rod and your, your staff are there to take care of the enemy. He's already a defeated foe. We, as my friend said, we know how the story ends. And so we're to rejoice. Okay, great, Pete. We're to rejoice. How do we do it? Do we muster up the stuff ourselves? No. God gives us the answer in the next verse. He says to you and me, pray without 
ceasing. If you want to have joy, if you want to know how to rejoice in even dire circumstances, then pray to God. When my mind starts to wander into areas it has no business going to, it is incumbent upon me, it is necessary for me to start praying and praising God because he will take me above the mess that can be my life without him. And so we are to pray without ceasing. That means you and I are to talk to God all day long. And especially in, in, in the prison system, I have guys come up, Brother Pete, will you pray for me? I say, sure, I'll pray for you. But understand, you can pray for you too. And they say, now nah, I don't know how to pray. I said, brother, it's just a conversation with God. Now, we can, we can pray to God in old King James or we can pray to God in layman's terms. It, it is totally up to us. There was a dear friend of, of Fran and mine, a retired pastor, a missionary, and he would pray in what I would call Old King James. Oh, greatest heavenly Father, thou dost knowest the wise and wherefore of the universe, because you made it in your image, you created it all. So we dost adore you, we lift up your name, and people would go, whoa, I could never do that. But that was who he was. That was what God had instilled in him. And so I say to brothers and sisters who are languishing and wondering, looking for perspective in this thing called prayer, what about this as a prayer? God, I've messed up again. I can't do it on my own. I can't deal with this anymore. Help! Is that a prayer? That is a plea to the heavens to crack open the sky and come down and minister to the heart and spirit of a hurting person. It is, it is man reaching up and reaching out to the one who hears our prayers, who hears our laments, who hears our pleas. God's word says his ears are inclined to the righteous, those who are endeavoring to live right living through the word of God being applied in their hearts and minds. Life is a marathon. It is not a hundred meter dash. We're in this, we're to be in this for the long haul. That's why Paul talks about running the race, grasping and grabbing the highest prize in the calling of Christ Jesus. So if life is a marathon, then we need to keep praying. We need to pray without ceasing in the midst of the stuff of life. When you and I focus on the temporal worldly, worldly things and take our minds off God Almighty, then you and I will start getting caught up in the people and the situations and the circumstances of life. And the standard of Christ will be put on the shelf for the lower standard of humanity without him. And we will start to struggle. And therefore, our prayers will become an afterthought as we try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, kick off the dust, and 
go forward and make it happen and get her done in our own effort. That's not what God would desire. He sees that in a world without him. I used to pride myself on being a self-made man. Wow. Ask me afterwards how that worked out over 30 years. It was sweet for a season, but it was just like the engine with a little flaw in the fuel line. You can be riding high. You can be soaring above the clouds one minute, but all of a sudden there's a little glitch, a little bubble, and it's... And you crash and burn once more. Pray without ceasing. In everything, you and I are to give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Does it say here in some things we give thanks? Does it qualify giving thanks according to how our lives are being affected positively or negatively by the things around us? The word is in everything give thanks, for this is not just something we should aspire to. It says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, the son he sacrificed. This is God's will in Christ for all of us. This really has nothing to do with our feelings. We have a decision. We can use emotions that can be very helpful in our lives sort of the seasoning on the salad of life, if you will, we can use those emotions and harness them through the word of God for wonderful things in our own lives and to benefit others. But if we get caught up and we operate only in our own selves and our own feelings, then we are going to miss the boat when it gives a command for you and me to give Thanks in every situation. We have a basic, a basic uh, decision to make. Are we going to work it out ourselves in our own fear and trembling, or are we going to lean on the word of God in the situations and circumstances of our life? And it boils down to obedience. It's obedience. Do we choose to obey the word of God, or are we, do we choose to Use it as a buffet and pick a little bit here and a little bit here, but push away the stuff that we don't like. When I first met uh, Christ back in, in 1981, if, if the buffet was in front of me and if salvation was the, the, the fried chicken, I was going to get me some of that. I knew I needed that. Okay? If... If righteousness was a process that involved those beautiful steamed potatoes in butter with salt, pepper, and parsley, I would take an extra helping of that. If sanctification were collard greens, I didn't even know what that was, but I knew I didn't want any of it. Because I was willing to be obedient to a, a point and I was willing to give God most of me some of the time. 
But yet God says, you can do that, and you're going to live a lesser life, and you're going to be, you're going to be encumbered with all the, the things that people are lamenting and raging about in their conversations today. And so we're to give thanks in every situation, in everything. Okay, get ready for this. You and I are to give thanks to God for everything, even the consequences of sin. I'm forever saying to my, my brothers, and I deal with men most of the time in the prison system, so let's just say my, my, my brothers in incarceration, I'm always saying, guys, you got to know something. There are consequences for actions. There, there are consequences for sin. Uh, you got to pay the price for doing bad stuff. And they understand that, usually intellectually, but to move it from here to here in, in a yoke fellowship with Christ is sometimes more difficult. But you see, if you and I don't recognize and remember that truth, then we're going to start getting mired in the situations and stuff of life. It's going to affect our attitude in our minds and in our spiritual hearts because it all comes back to the heart attitude of a man or woman. And we're either going to start doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons or we're going to be ready and willing to accept a lower standard than the standard of Christ in our lives. Think of Satan. Don't, don't give the enemy too much credit. We know who he is. But... He is a defeated foe. We know that from the handbook for life and living, the word of God. We know that he's a defeated foe. And all the things that we're going through right now, think of it this way. I love to try to create word pictures in people's minds. And when I read the Bible, I'm in here in living color, moving and flowing with the characters and the scenarios. And so I see Satan... And I see all these high and mighty human folks on the landscape of life and politics and social issues and celebrity. I see them all in a giant intergalactic chess match, and God is doing this. He's moving one here, and he's putting one there. And, and please understand something. And if people would understand this, uh, the last number of years might have been a little less insane. God, traditionally, throughout God's word, he has used flawed people to do extraordinary things on his behalf. And so when people are lamenting about a certain candidate or a certain president or a certain person in some position, we can go to God's word and say, look at King Cyrus. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. There was a bad dude. Nebuchadnezzar would put his own family members to death so they wouldn't even think about messing with his power. But when God got through with him, he turned to all the heathen folk around him and said, you will worship the one and only God in spirit and in truth or you're going to answer to me. 
and I'll kill you. God does amazing things with flawed people. And one of the things that has allowed me to speak with power and truth and relevancy for 28 years is he allows me very often to use myself as my own best worst example for anything that I'm trying to convey to, to an audience or a congregation or a prison full of folks that people have written off. And so you and I are to thank God for all the things in our lives because he is working and moving and creating all the time and working things out for our good, even if we have done bad things in the course of life and living. And so... I just thought those three verses were really, really important, very concise. They were um, easily applicable if we choose to obey and apply. There's not a whole lot not to understand there in whatever translation of, of God's word you might use and read. But you and I are called to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And if we look intently and see how God is speaking to us through his word, then he will give us the how-to of all the things he wants us to do. And hopefully, in the times we're in, that will allow us to be calmer, cooler, more at peace with ourselves and others around us, and will allow us to be quieter, cogent, relevant spokespersons for people who need to hear the truth of God's word and need to see it being put into action in sometimes subtle ways and sometimes maybe very demonstrative ways. But nonetheless, he wants you and me to be the hands and feet of Christ. He wants you and me to be his workmanship, his handiwork, ready and willing to be available and to serve on his behalf here on planet Earth until he comes. And so my brothers and sisters in here this morning, those of you who may listen and see this broadcast now or at a later date, God's word's still good. It's still alive. It's still relevant as it was 2,000 years ago because God is timeless. People sometimes say these truths were good back then, but they're not relevant for our culture today. And I said, to, I say to them, you're looking at time in your terms. A day is 24 hours, and it can get real long if it's going real bad. A month can be interminable. A year can seem like a century. 
But 2,000 years to God, you want to see it again? The continuum of God is, is beyond our imagination, beyond our comprehension. And so may I encourage you to read the word, study the word, meditate upon the word. God will give you the information. He'll give you the answers to the questions. He'll give you the perspective to the perplexing things that we see the talking heads on the news filling the airwaves with ad nauseum until we turn it off. We have the past, the present, and the future of our lives right here in a handbook, just waiting to be read and studied and acted upon. And sometimes it's so simple that we want to make it more complicated because we think we need to add something to it. This isn't my, my own analogy. I heard it who knows when, but given enough time, people left to their own designs and their own desires will mess up an air sandwich. They'll always seek to put something else in there until it's not what it was intended to be. My prayer is that you strive in a peaceful way to become what God has intended you to be. Through the tough times, through the, the good times and the bad, through the turmoil and the complexities of society and politics and social issues. Just know God has got this covered. And if we will bow our minds and hearts to his wonderful teaching and em employ it and apply it to our lives, we will find the answers to the questions and the perspective that we would desire for our lives and living. Amen.